0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Today's guest is someone I discovered online through her Invisible Illness photo project. I was immediately moved by her story, this project, and was determined to feature Beth Schrock on the show and be a part of this project along with other past guests of the show. So welcome, Beth. Hello. So happy to have you here. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Well, hi, my name is Beth.
1: I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am a photographer and contract art director, which basically means I just make really cool images. I like to think cool. I mean, I'll leave that up to you. That's what I do full time. I'm married. My husband is a musician. We are the black sheep of our family, just doing artsy things. But it's way more interesting to talk about that during you know, Christmas family dinners, then I mean, I love my sister in law, who's an ultrasound technician. But anyways, so that's me.
0: Love that. So let's dig right into your health and your health story. A few years ago, you experienced extreme pain and loss of mobility in your left hand and arm within a day. Wow. Okay, so go right there. Tell us what happened. We're just gonna dive in. All
1: right. Well, yeah, it happened all of a sudden. So I've been a pretty healthy person my whole life i'm 24 right now and this happened when i was 21 okay one year married kind of at the beginning of the summer crazy career season i just got back from a trip to the middle east for two months doing photos there and i was at my desk editing and all of a sudden my left hand um Okay, I'm from Minnesota, so it gets cold. But anyone who <laughs> has been in cold climates, you know, when you're outside and you come inside, and then your skin just like aches, you know, yes. it's it, you feel like you're thawing out. But it felt like all of a sudden my my left bone of my hand and my arm were like thawing out, and it ached so bad. And I was like, okay, this is so random. And it was progressively getting worse within me editing this, you know, photo session I was shooting, and Okay, so time is passing. I'm annoyed. I have things I have to get done. (laughs) Anyone who's been sick has been sick. It's like, oh, this is so inconvenient right now, body. Come on. And uh, I've had shingles three times in my life, beginning at age like seven. So I was like, maybe I just have shingles all of a sudden. I'm stressed. I'll just go to urgent care. It'll be a nice little visit. I'll get my medication so I can get back to my life. So I call my husband, hey, I'm just going to go to urgent care see you tonight. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm coming. Go to the front desk, do blood tests. Everything comes back normal, which that's another thing. And they do an MRI to make sure I don't have like any nerves pinching in my neck and get out of the MRI. I'm going to go to the waiting room and the technician is like, hey, do you want the doctor to call with your results or do you want to wait in the waiting room? And I'm like, oh, they can just call. I'll see you later. He's like, are you sure? Because, you know, you might want to stick around. I was like, bro, I'm fine. Just call me. I can go on with my life. He goes, I'm going to have you wait in the waiting room, and then we're going to have the doctor call the front desk, and they'll give you your results. Okay, fine. Wait in the waiting room. Front desk person calls me up. Hey, we have the doctor on the phone with you. They have your results. I grab the phone, and they slide me a piece of paper and a pen. (laughs) And I take the phone call, and the ER doctor which, all respect, they're great, but it wasn't my best <laughs> bedside manner experience. They go, everything is fine, you know, there's no pitching nerves, doesn't look like that. Well, everything's fine besides the brain tumor. And I was like, oh, brain tumor? She was like, oh, you don't know that you have a, a brain tumor in your middle cranial fossa? It's on your optic nerve and it looks like a schwannoma, but da-da-da-da-da-da. da, 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 da. we are going to have a surgeon reach out to you next week. And everything was just like, whoa, okay. And she's acting so nonchalant. So then I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to act nonchalant as I'm like scribbling down all these words that I don't know how to spell. And so get off the phone. The front desk tech is looking at me. And I go, how do you spell schwannoma? Because <laughs> I know I'm going to want to Google it later. Because yeah. Dr. Google is the best, <laughs> but not really. Um, Go back to my husband. Hey, is everything fine? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, everything's fine. Besides, I have a tumor, but they say it's fine, but I'm going to have to get brain surgery. So it was very confusing. Then the next day, I had the worst pain in my left hand, and it was going down my leg now. And so I went back to the doctor. They admitted me for two weeks. I ended up developing pseudo seizures, spinal taps, everything. And then there ensued the next year of craziness. And yeah.
0: And yeah, you know, just this minor minor brain tumor that you had no idea happened. But it's fine because I don't have a pinched nerve, you know. So what do you think that was about that they assumed that you knew this information?
1: You know, it's crazy because a year before that all happened, I started having really intense migraines out of nowhere. And I got an MRI and (laughs) the doctor didn't see anything. I was put on medication. They, you know, slowly kind of subsided. And... A year later, you could see the same tumor, and it was like the size of maybe your pinky nail, and then it had grown to the size of maybe a little bigger than a golf ball. And so normally, those tumors are actually fine. They're kind of common, and they're benign, so they're not cancerous, but they grow really slow. So some people can have them their entire life, and everything would be fine. The problem was mine was growing super fast within a year, and it was on my optic nerve, and I was going to be able to stop using the, <laughs> the right side of my face and go blind. Therefore, that's why I needed surgery. But what's really hard to explain, especially in the moment, to people is that all of the nerve pain that was actually affecting me was completely unrelated to the tumor. So I was having no symptoms of a brain tumor, but I was having random neurological symptoms that still to this day are undiagnosed. And doctors don't know what it is. And in a messed up way, I feel kind of fortunate because I had a tangible thing to tell people that people can hear, people can see in an email, oh, she has a brain tumor. Okay, she can't come shoot this. That's, you know, realistic. But if it was, oh, she just has a weird nerve pain, take an Advil and get over it, you know? So I had like a scapegoat
0: if that makes sense. And taken more seriously because it sounded really serious. That's
1: what it is. It sounds serious. And that's where I was really fortunate. Which is so
0: unfortunate (laughs) that you have to think about it that way. That I'm
1: fortunate enough to have a brain tumor so that I, you know, and so I did a ton of tests and it was kind of hard going to doctors where, you know, I'm having these non-epileptic seizures, also known as pseudo seizures, that's unrelated to the nerve pain that I'm having, which is unrelated to the brain tumor that I'm having as well as so many other symptoms. And so I would go to a doctor and be like, okay, yeah, I have a tumor, but no, no, no. I can't move my left hand. Can you help me? So got surgery in September of that year when everything happened. May, they found it. And-
0: Why was there such a large period between May and September?
1: Since it wasn't cancerous and I wasn't having symptoms from the tumor, there was no crazy- Urgency. Yes, urgency. Urgency. Which anyone who's been through illness and goes through diagnoses, it all feels pretty big and pretty massive. And so when the doctor is like, you know, we don't want to do radiation because that'll be hard for you when you're older. So eventually we'll want you to get brain surgery. You're like, how am I supposed to just eventually decide, pick a weekend, you know, that looks good in my calendar. So because, you know, I kind of got to a point where I couldn't use my left hand is kind of like frozen shut. I'm seeing all these doctors. Life kind of goes on a pause, a forced pause, which I wasn't happy about, by the way, because, you know, owning my own business, you know, being young, you don't want to just like take a little time out because you have unexplained symptoms that people don't understand. So I said, you know, OK, well, let's just schedule this brain surgery. I'm going to have to get it. So let's just go for it. Um, got it in September. And that was funny, you know, having the neurosurgeon call you and ask in your calendar, when's a good time. <laughs> So you're looking at your calendar trying to decide.
0: Oh, let, well, let's see. I've got this event on this day. I can't do really? it
1: then. Really? So I was like, okay, you know, our two-year wedding anniversary is on September 4th. So let's give ourselves, you know, a few days. And then on September 20th, let's do surgery. That looks like a good day.
0: Wow. So it's funny you bring that up because I think about when I interviewed my mom in episode 27, We talked about how she had knee surgery, and I remember her scheduling it, and I remember her looking at her calendar being like, okay, Thanksgiving's this day, and it's Lori's birthday party on this day, and it's this person's birthday, and I'm like, mom, (laughs) get the surgery. (laughs) Get it over with. Like, all these things will go on. Life will go on. There will be more things to celebrate. Yes. Let's just do this.
1: And that's the weird thing when you're sitting inside and you're bedridden, and you go outside and there's people you know walking to get coffee and there's the grocery store and you're like oh even though i feel like i've been cooped up inside for three months the world still goes on you know and that alone kind of has its own little like morning process where you can't just be mad at yourself for being sick you know and you just kind of have to yep life is unfair that's what i've just learned to say through whatever experience our friends you know Sometimes life is unfair. Some people have bad periods. You know, some people get brain tumors. Some people have undiagnosed things. Some people have a lost, you know, spouse or loved one or parent that has passed away. And, you know, what subjects me to special treatment where bad things will never happen? Maybe that's a negative way of looking at the world, but I remember I was watching a Netflix original series. I forget what it's called, but it's about different artists and things like that. It's super great. We'll put it in the show notes. Ooh. Plug. Um, whatever it's called. Whatever it's called. The show notes just sounds fancy. And it's this photographer and he's talking about how he got beat up because of his race and his religion and he's sitting in the hospital and he's crying and he was a young boy at the time. And he's like, "Oh, why did this happen to me?" And this woman sitting next to him goes, "Well, what makes you so special that bad things don't happen to you?" And I'm like, sitting there, in my sweats, you know, eating a (laughs) Pop-Tart, feeling sorry for myself. And I'm like, what makes me so special that bad things aren't going to happen? So.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's wild. You mentioned friends, and I'm curious how you approach talking to friends and family members about this and, you know, acknowledging that the doctor is sort of saying it's not serious, but you still have this term, brain tumor. How did you navigate that and what you said? I, so on top of,
1: you know, Kind of scary news happening. I love people, I love doing things. I was put on a ton of medication. I was put on a ton of gabapentin and all which people- is what Gabapentin, you know, I'm gonna give you the um, consumer version of it. It is kind of limits the neurotransfers that go on in your brain and it kind of stops nerve pain, it helps seizures, things like that. but I was on so much I was on 1800 milligrams a day which is a ton, my brain slowly became mush. And so, you know, you have only known me for a little bit. Hey, listening to the podcast, you've only known me for, you know, 10 seconds. But I just got flatlined in wanting to see people. I didn't get excited about things. I was just kind of like this solid stream of non-emotional depression, which also does happen. You know, when you get this daunting diagnosis that you don't know what you're going to do and you say goodbye to this life that you envisioned for yourself. And, you know, my husband and I had just gotten back from this really cool trip in the Middle East and then all of a sudden I'm on the couch and I'm saying no to really cool photo gigs because for no reason I can't move my left hand. So talking to friends, I really started limiting who I hung out with. And one thing that was really hard was the pity face and the pity eyes. (laughs) And you feel like a jerk because, yeah, I want you to feel bad for me because this sucks. But can we please talk about something more than how I feel sad? You know, like what's going on in your life? You know, where did you get those shoes? So with my friendships, I would limit it. And I have some pretty amazing people in my life. But I would kind of just set the tone of like, hey, I don't want to be sad right now. I don't want to talk about me. And they would hear that and they'd be like, okay, so um, this week I, I, you know. People don't bless know how to up.
0: navigate this no. stuff.
1: No, and this is the crazy thing. People don't know how to navigate until it's happening and it's scary and then people freak out, you know, and I would do the same. But now from one sickie to another, it's like, you know, we talked on the phone like last week and <laughs> we both explained, oh, sorry, I didn't get back to your email. Oh, yeah, I was in the ER. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, <gasps> my gosh. Are you okay now? Yeah, I'm fine. That actually happened, which is so ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, you were in the ER for your thing. And I was like, yeah, I did it overnight, too. You doing better? Yeah, you know. Usual bullshit. I know. (laughs) But then I tell someone else I was in the ER and everything stops, which I appreciate. But, you know, we have a new normal.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H E L P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace through a secure online platform and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting BetterHelp.com backslash Made Visible and entering promo code Made Visible. That's BetterHelp.com slash Made Visible. And now, back to the show.
1: So that's another thing is like I've started to kind of educate my friends. Sometimes I'll be over at dinner and I'll feel very overstimulated and I feel like I might have a seizure. And that's something we should talk about because... Not a lot of people know about non epileptic spells, especially doctors. Anyways, and so I'll go into a separate room to just like take a chill pill and relax, metaphorically, and also literally sometimes. And I'll come back and I've told my friends, I don't want you to ask, are you okay? Like, do you need any, do you want some tea? I think you need some, I have some herbal tea. Do you want, you know, (laughs) I don't want that. I don't want you to treat me differently. I just have a new way of navigating life. And I want you to be a part of that new life. So let's learn how to do it together.
0: There's not a right way for handling this, but there's (sighs) so many different ways that people could do it better. And I remember on episode 36 with Cece Webster Marone, we were talking about how she was in a work environment Mm -hmm. where people sent her like orange juice and chicken soup, even though she had cancer. And it was just the craziest (laughs) thing of like, people don't know what to send and what to do. So sending tea, I think we talked about tea also yes. of like just assuming it's a soothing thing for yeah. everyone and that's not the case. So, I mean, I
1: also on social media decided – so since I'm a photographer, a lot of my business and the way I share work is through Instagram and things like that. So there's that moment where you're like, I'm sitting inside for three months. Nothing is interesting happening. And so I decided to just be honest about like my story and my journey And it was really cool because all of a sudden I started connecting with people who also have chronic illness, invisible illnesses that you look, I looked normal. You know, my hair wasn't falling out. I didn't have weird bruising. My skin didn't look different. I looked normal. I just looked like a slob. (laughs) You know, showering was a big event. And honestly, sometimes I would need help. You know, my husband had to wipe my butt a few times because my limbs just were not working. So I started sharing. And it was really awesome, though, because I would have healthy friends say, well, what do I say? Like, what do I do? I care about you. I care about this person. And so even just like being really frank and honest, because if they love you, they really will practice what you teach. And so, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this. I can't imagine. I love you and I'm here for you.
0: It's so simple and it's so so complex for people to wrap their head around something that basic.
1: And- I'm so sorry, but whatever you say to me, you're not going to fix me. I've been to 15 doctors and that hasn't happened yet. So I want you to just be a friend. Don't tell me, don't tell me about your gluten-free diet or about your supplements that you're trying because I've Googled that months ago and I've already tried it. And so then that's where I'm like, you know what, I can't get upset at my relationships around me if I haven't educated them because thank God they haven't gone through this. I don't wish it upon them. And so Let me be honest and frank with them so that they don't have to be annoying for the, you know, 80 more years that they're on this earth to their
0: other friends. I love that. I think it's so valuable and so relevant to so many people in going through so many different types of things. So let's go back a second. So you have this surgery in September, but you're still to this day dealing with chronic pain that's undiagnosed. Yes. What are you still dealing with?
1: Yeah. So, you know, got out of surgery. And just kind of hoped that, you know, the nerve pain and everything would just go away with it. And, you know, the doctors, they couldn't promise that, but they wanted that too. That'd be awesome. You know, a two for one. And then by the time I tapered off of all my pain meds, the pain came back. And so did crazy diets, AIP, did gluten, you know, everything you can think of and kind of adjusted my whole life to my sickness. And so a lot of that was this nerve pain in all my extremities to my feet to my hands and you know crazy gi stuff that you just couldn't explain my brain was like so slow like i couldn't remember anything having these seizures maybe once a week which would just isolate me more and more so it was this constant cycle and then um i was feeling better you know i was doing better i was on medication i was barely eating anything but I was able to walk, so that was a good thing. And then I went on a trip to Australia, came home, and then I had another massive flare-up that led me into a wheelchair. Because standing up, I felt like I was lifting like 500 pounds. And my legs would shake and I couldn't stand. And, you know, neurologically, was like failing all the tests, but my spinal fluid looked normal and everything like that. So, There began a new, man, adventure, and this was last summer, of three months of so many tests, and in Minnesota, we have Mayo Clinic, and so I was at a great hospital. I was with the best, and whenever I would you know, go to the ER, doctors would see I was being treated at Mayo, so they'd say, okay, well, just wait till your next appointment, which they're booked out for months, and so you're just in this, like, hurry up and wait, where you just, like, are so excited about this appointment, and you daydream about it in your head of, like, oh, one day, maybe they'll tell me a diagnosis. You know, and it's like, you're Prince Charming. And they would come in for, you know, this appointment you've been waiting for for so long. They would look at the list and they go, this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. This is normal. And you're supposed to be happy about that, which is really messed up when you like, and I'm sorry if this is like really insensitive to other people, but like when you wish you just had MS or you wish you just had cancer. And I, you know, I don't know what that's like and I'm so sorry for anyone who's dealing with it but when there's nothing to explain what you're feeling and slowly and slowly you're just like wow I am crazy I'm crazy and I hate how they say either they say you know your tests are normal or it's you know the <laughs> doctor term is it's unremarkable this is unremarkable that's unremarkable you know that spinal tap we did unremarkable oh you know that EMG nerve test we did that was so painful unremarkable. Oh, the sweat test that I put you in a chicken rotisserie cooker thing. We had to wait till your internal body temperature went to 102 degrees and you're covered in white powder that turns purple when you're sweating. Yes, that's a real thing. And it comes back unremarkable. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, once again, sorry if this is dramatic or unsensitive, but there's moments where you're like, if this is what my life is going to be, it's not worth it. This is not livable. You know, I remember I had a neurologist say to me, well, your tests look normal. You're on the medication you can be on. So, you know, just start getting used to this, this is how it is. And I'm like, F me? Like, what? I'm 23 and I'm in a wheelchair. And you're telling me, oh, well, I guess this is just what it's
0: going to be. It's a really wild thing to want to be diagnosed with something. Oh my- And I obviously relate in a major way to be like, oh, my blood tests look great. Okay, but what do I do now? Because I'm still dealing with this stuff.
1: And I literally signed up as tribute telling my neurologist, please give me a spinal tap. Please give me. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I don't care. I literally was saying to them, hey, if you need like a example for a class or something, I will take all the like, you know, weird tests that no one's willing to try. Like, please just give me something. And... I didn't really even care if there was a cure. I just wanted to know that I wasn't crazy.
0: Which you're still waiting for.
1: Yeah, but thank goodness. So all the tests happened. Everything was unremarkable. And I had this doctor come in and talk to me, and he started explaining something called central sensitization. Have you heard about that? No. It's kind of hard to swallow, and it's not a diagnosis. It's a phenomenon. And it's basically... Something that also goes under the category of a conversion disorder, which makes you feel even more mental. But it's basically when something emotional, traumatic, or whatever is happening, your body converts that to physical symptoms. So I'm sitting there and thank goodness he was like the most gentle doctor in his hour visit versus the 15-minute one. And he started explaining that, you know, just like say I got my leg amputated, you have phantom pain. Your leg isn't there, but the pain is real. Your nerves are telling you, wow, my leg is aching right now. My leg is itching. I need to itch it. And you go down to itch it, and you don't have a foot. And it's very real, but your brain got some wires crossed at some time, and now you're experiencing these very real symptoms but aren't from, you know, a real amputation. So, you know, he said, Bethany, you are feeling like boiling hot water, and bee stings are going up your hands and your legs. Yes. But the thing that's triggering it, you don't actually have hot water. You don't actually have bee stings. And we just don't have a test right now in 2019 to show. And so just alone having someone take time to explain that to me and to say, we don't have a test right now to show is like, oh. Okay, because one day, like my kids, kid, kid, if they ever have to deal with this, I want them to know earlier than two years into everything that they're not crazy. So I attended something called Pain Rehabilitation Clinic at Mayo, and it's this month kind of outpatient program where from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., you attend class and you go to school (laughs) with people from all over the world, all over the United States who fly in to stay at a hotel across the street from Mayo Clinic, and you do occupational therapy, you do cognitive behavioral therapy, you do biofeedback, you do OT, you do PT, you do all these things. And it's kind of this intensive rehab center for people in chronic pain. And there's no promises, but it says, you know, it's for people to learn how to live despite your pain, not because of it. And Literally, I'm not getting like sponsored. (laughs) Literally, it changed my life. I mean, I was for sure one of the youngest people there. I was, you know, with classmates that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, people who got in a car accident, you know, 20 years ago and they're still having pain. People with, you know, where their brain is growing down their spinal cord and they have, you know, pain. But okay, so these are the cards that I'm dealt. How am I going to live despite that? And I learned such incredible like ways of approaching life ways of approaching pain ways to talk to my friends ways to talk to my family because I don't want this to be the rest of my life like I was so tired of being like Bethany the sick girl I have so much more to me than just being the sick girl that's my happy ending you know my happy ending isn't getting a diagnosis and I'm not cured I still deal with chronic pain every day but It doesn't control my life like it used to.
0: I love that you said that. I remember watching your Instagram feed while you were doing this month-long thing and sort of watching you document it. It was so fascinating. And I think it's such a great segue into the Invisible Illness photo project that you launched Mm -hmm. that is clearly your way of expressing your creativity around what you were dealing with and what you were coping with. And also helping to raise awareness about other people. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to start this project and what the concept is? Yeah. So
1: a lot of people with chronic pain, chronic illness, they look normal and sometimes you just want to freaking shave your head so everyone knows, hey, by the way, I'm sick, but I have a happy attitude and I'm here, but just so you know, give me a little extra buffer zone, please. And I dealt with that personally. And kind of makes you cringe every once in a while when someone's like, wow, you look so good. And you're like, oh,
0: that's one of the worst for me.
1: And you go, yeah, I put on a little extra mascara because I feel so crappy today. So, as a photographer, I was like, okay, I have to do something with this. I have to document this part of my life somehow. And so, what I started doing is, I had friends, you know, sick people kind of congregate to each other. And you're like, your inner support system that you can call up and say, yeah, I was in the hospital too. How are you doing? Let's get coffee. Anyways, or a strong drink. And so I photograph people who are dealing with chronic illness. Sometimes it's mental illness, whatever it is. And take their picture and then I print it out. And on the physical image, I then depict what it feels like. So, for example, um, this guy, his name was Ron Gates, and he has this autoimmune disease where his skin flares up when he's under a lot of stress, not getting a lot of sleep, and it feels like his skin is burning. It feels like it's being scratched off and he'll get really puffy and things like that, but he looks normal. So I took his portrait and then I took a needle and I scratched the surface of the image. And all of a sudden he has this thing, this picture of him. And even if it's just for him to feel like, wow, someone sees me, someone gets it. One of my best friends, Catalia, she has lupus and she's, you know, she's a model and she works really, really hard, but she's under so much pain and everything is so tight. Her spinal cord, everything, it just feels like it's in knots. And so I took a picture of her and then I sewed on the picture and I knotted it. And, you know, I've just heard people say, thank you so much for even like recognizing this. You know, it's great that there's like runs and there's foundations for all these. Wow, well, I sound so biased against people
0: with diagnosis. No, it's relevant. It's so I am sure you know, all, a lot of listeners can relate. We to don't this.
1: have our color ribbon, but we still have to live despite our daily battles. And so if I can make someone feel seen and less alone by this photo project and, you know, maybe they're going to see an image and they go, I have this autoimmune disorder too, and that's what my skin feels like. Wow, you guys, look. That would be the dream.
0: So you were sharing and documenting what you were going through, mm-hmm. and Maybelline took a liking to this. Yeah. And what happened from there?
1: Yeah, so Maybelline, which is you know all about beauty and things like that, they saw that this <laughs> sick girl was sharing her story on Instagram about how crappy she feels, and they liked it. And so... Uh, news outlet media called upworthy which is like the positive spin buzzfeed space they did this little video about me and about this project that i'm doing and it was just so cool that someone recognized oh maybe someone else can relate to this and it just put more fire behind it and so i did this video for maybelline and upworthy and they talked about the project And then, of course, that's when I had my flare-up and I was in a wheelchair and it had to go on a pause. So it started and then stopped. But of all people to understand, it's the chronically ill that I was talking to. And so now I'm back on my feet, getting better, and I'm kind of reigniting this project. And so it's really cool because I'm now here in New York and I get to photograph you. Yes! (laughs) And so after this, now I get to take you on what I like to do. I'm going to take your photo and then I'm going to kind of depict your symptoms and things like that. And it's cool because, you know, I want you to tell me what you think. But then I say, this is what it looks like to me. Does this relate? And then the best moment is where you
0: go. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love that so much. And so when you put this Upworthy video out mm-hmm. there or it had gone out there, yeah. I assume it went viral. I've What is viral? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll let
1: the critique say. But yeah, so it went out and I got so many messages on Instagram and Facebook and things of, hey, wow, thank you so much for doing this. I shared this with someone and they finally understood what I'm going through. So the dream dream, you know, one day is that maybe I get to, you know, go to different cities and photograph different people, you know, in whatever is uniquely individually their story and what they're going through. And then, I mean, I shared this with you and this is crazy dream and I hate saying it out loud because I don't want (laughs) to... I don't want to talk this up. And then one day you're like, wait, what was this? But I think it'd be so cool just for a night to do like a gallery of these portraits blown up. But, you know, having the spray paint on them or having the yarn on them and people standing next to their portraits. And maybe it's, hey, this is what never to say to me. And hey, say this to me. And then, you know, just kind of this thing of like, it's okay to not be okay. And ready for this? You're going to like this. And my illness is now made visible.
0: <laughs> the plugs, oh! the plugs. I love you for I'm, this. I'm just a big fan, so I just want you to be made visible, you know? I appreciate it so much. Well, and as I said to you on the phone, and I will say to you again, I don't think that it's such an unrealistic dream. And I think it's totally possible. And if there's a gallery owner listening, hey, hit us up. Hey, hey. We'll <laughs> Let's make here. this happen <laughs> wherever it photo. is. New York, (laughs) Minneapolis, wherever. Yeah. But honestly, I think, you know, it's an amazing, amazing project. And it's how, you know, we got connected Mm because I saw this and said, I have to talk to this person and I have to understand the story behind it, even though Upworthy and Maybelline did such a great job with it. But it's such a cool concept. So, with your health today, how do you manage the symptoms that you're currently dealing with? Great question. So, I have learned that
1: routine is the best medicine. So even like going to bed at a decent freaking time, you know, and waking up on a repeated schedule is really good for me. And every morning I do about 10 minutes of deep breathing and stretches. And I tapered off of all my pain medicine, which I'm really proud of. Like That's huge. It's crazy to go through withdrawal, you know, from these opioids. You know, I was on oxycodone, like all this stuff that's prescribed. And then you go through withdrawal, and you're just doing what doctors are prescribing you. And you're doing it because you just want to feel better. But I remember when I got off of the gabapentin, I like started feeling feelings again. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting to get excited again. Wow. Okay. This is what it's like to be sad. Great. You know, I started feeling like myself again, which was more inspiration to just like keep on doing the things. So about two or three times a day, I actually get on this app called Headspace and I do like a guided meditation. And I could go so sciencey on you because I love this stuff. But like, you know, getting my parasympathetic nervous system like flatline. And, you know, sometimes when you're in chronic pain, you're constantly in this flight, fight or flight mode and your adrenaline is pumping. And did you know, Harper, that... (laughs) When your adrenaline is pumping, because you're in chronic pain, and maybe, you know, a lot of people who have chronic pain also deal with anxiety and depression, your adrenaline gets pumping. And when that happens, your body starts shutting down things that aren't necessary if there was some bad event happening, like a bear chasing you. The first thing that shuts down is your immune system. So that's why, you know, you get strep, you get shingles, all these things when you are stressed a lot. And so by me doing deep breathing and, you know, keeping on my sertraline to help with anxiety. I'm like giving my body the air and the oxygen and the the balance that it needs. And I've actually found that that really helps. Staying away from certain foods. And for me, so thankfully, since I own my own business, I have my own schedule. If I ever, like today is a busy day. Tomorrow is my rest day. And I just won't plan a thing. And it's really hard for me because I feel like I'm being unproductive. but as I quote my therapist, also therapy is great, is like, no, you're producing rest. And that's just as important as producing work or images, Bethany. Producing rest is just as necessary. So being okay with not being where I want to be financially or career-wise or physically, you know, I used to run every day. I can't run right now. And that's okay. And Every day kind of getting to know my new body and what it needs and listening to it, not because, oh, I'm going to listen to my body today because tomorrow I really want to be able to be out all day and eat really crappy food and stay out all night and have 15 drinks. I can't do that, and that's okay. And I'm going to be so much happier in the long run.
0: That's a great place to end. Thank you a million for traveling here for this. It Thank you for inviting me. me. So where can people learn more about you, your photography, and obviously the Invisible Illness photo project? Ooh, now I get plugs. Well,
1: besides going to madevisiblepodcast.com, where you'll get all the information about today's episode, <laughs> literally Harper is laughing and shaking her head right now, whatever. I'll take it. Okay, great, great, great. Friends help friends. <laughs> um, so my business is Beth Cath, B-E-T-H-C-A-T-H. That's my first and middle name. So BethKeth.com, that's what I am on social media, and I'll be sharing more about the invisible illness project that I'm working on. And yeah, just follow along and like. feel free to message, email, DM me. I mean, that's what's really cool about social media. There's a lot of downsides. Positive is like, hey, we got to stick together. I'm going to be sharing more about the invisible illness project that I'm working on, and i If you have any connections to anyone who wants to help support that you know you are amazing for inviting me out but this is kind of i'm just fronting it on my own this is my own personal project and maybe together we can work on making this a project that's way bigger than just two cities
0: i agree thank you my dear thank you thanks for tuning into made visible we hope you learned about something new today if you enjoyed this episode Please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com, follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram, and join our new online community, facebook.com slash Community. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music and Amanda Gracio for the design.